Good afternoon. You are listening to the Recovery Hour Talk Radio Show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the Cat 10 ENT Network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. the recovery hour this is bill and tanisha once again we have the real treat and opportunity to bring out some of the most powerful things that are happening in our community today is really a treat today is really powerful today we're here with the awesome odr team which is like special forces for recovery but before we get off to the cosmos tanisha say hi to all the people out there in radio land Hello, once again, to all of our followers, we really appreciate you. I'm very grateful to be able to have this platform, to be able to spend some time and and share a positive message with you all another week. Okay, and with that being said, I would be remiss if I first didn't shout out to our sponsors, the Stepping Up Initiative, which is a national initiative that has been adopted here in Rockdale County that's designed to reduce the number of people in jails that have mental health substance use disorders and that look like us on the inside or the outside. And with that being said, also I would like to shout out to Commissioner Doreen Williams, who is the tip of the spear, our fearless leader, because without her influence, none of this would probably be happening and it definitely wouldn't be happening like this. The recovery community really shouts out Commissioner Williams because we can feel the impact of her influence in our lives and in the opportunities that people are having to advance, to transition, and to not just be, but to become. Anyway, with that being said, today we got the Opening Doors to Recovery team, which is facilitated inside Viewpoint, but is facilitated outside in our community. So I'm gonna get those those, uh, powerful navigators to introduce themselves. Leroy, tell the people who you are. Leroy has his own theme music, as you can hear. Uh, everybody does it, but Leroy does. So you don't have your own theme music. Don't be a hater. Leroy, tell the people out there in Radio Land your name and your role with the project. Thank you, Bill, for that introduction. Hi, everyone. My name is Leroy Bryan, and I'm considered the professional community navigation specialist for the ODR project here in Rockdale. And so for all y'all out there, Radio Land don't know about the acronyms, ODR stands for Opening Doors to Recovery. And so also we got Chris with us here today. Chris, tell the people your name and what your role is with the Opening Doors to Recovery project. Uh, Yeah, my name is uh, Chris Jackson and I am the Recovery Community Navigation Specialist for the Opening Doors to Recovery project. And also, we have powerful Teresa Carmichael with us today. Teresa, will you tell the people your name and what your role is with the Opening Doors to Recovery Project? My name is Teresa Carmichael, and I am the Family Community Navigation Specialist with Open Doors to Recovery. With that, um, what I do is I connect families with the support that they need to assist their families that are coming from jails, prisons, or the community that are homeless. 
So it's just having a circle of support. And so that's what my role is. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And Chris, what is your specific role as the recovery navigator? So I'm a certified peer specialist and I'll be using my lived experience to connect with the individuals that we serve. Well, and Leroy, what is the designation? I heard you say you were the professional recovery mm -hmm. navigation specialist. So what does that mean? As a professional community navigation specialist, I would go into the jails, sit with a potential participant, explain to them the criteria of, you know, getting into our project and see if they're uh, willing to be a participant. I would also work with them from a, a therapeutic standpoint, helping, helping them identify their, their goals and uh, motivation for change and see how best we can work towards that. For them. So what credential do you have that makes you able to work with people on, their, on that therapeutic level? I'm a associate uh, professional clinician. Okay. So we got a clinician, we got a certified peer specialist, and we got a certified family member who are all credentialed to meet those specific domains. Is that correct? Okay. And so, wow, that must be why they call y'all special forces. Sort of like being a SEAL team. Huh? Yay! <laughs> so my name is Bill Carruthers. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm also the host co-host of the Recovery Hour, and the privilege I have to be with uh, my partners today is that I was the original, uh, back then they called peer navigators, I was the original recovery navigator for the original Opening Doors to Recovery Pilot Project, which was, I guess, about 10 years ago. Gee, how time flies when you're having fun. So for me to see you guys sitting here as the evolution of a project, to, as an evolution of a thought, an original Opening Doors to Recovery Project was developed as the response to crisis. Because at one point, our systems were in such a severe crisis and, and there was, everybody was going to the hospital. That was the only option. Send them to the hospital. They got mental health challenges, send them to the hospital. The hospitals were overflowing. There were a lot of challenges with uh, just people being, uh, let's just say it wasn't person-centered. Let's say it wasn't a recovery model. Let's say it was a medical model. And medical models are designed for the greater part of that treatment to take place inside a facility. So as things, um, there was a big lawsuit and the Olmstead Act and a lot of other things. And then the settlement was we were going to release people into the communities. And when they got ready to empty the hospitals and release people into the communities, the group of people got together and realized that if we're going to release people into the communities, we don't really have the services in the communities to be able to meet this need. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be releasing people, and they're not going to have the skills, resources, or supports to ultimately be successful, which means they're ultimately going to end up in one of the things that you guys call the deep end. And what are the deep ends again? Homelessness, incarceration, hospitalization, and also death. Yes. So those deep ends, which are all, you know, have those whole significant tragic crisis orientations and, and eventually death, as Leroy said. So when they realized that and they came up with the ACT teams, which are assertive community treatment teams, which is almost like a mobile hospital, they had um, intensive case management and then a group of individuals uh, that were associated with the NAMI and were innovators, Nora Haynes and Dr. Michael Compton and a group of other people came together and wrote the response to crisis report and ODR was born, uh, Opening Doors to Recovery was born. 
that first uh, deep end that we addressed was hospitalization. And we brought a great number of people out of the hospitals and they did had a research component with it. They identified that opening doors to recovery was effective. And uh, as a result of compiling that research, Dr. Michael Compton and having it published and all of those things today, ODR is an evidence-based practice. Uh, so let me ask you guys a question. Why do you think ODR is a game changer? I'm going to start with you, Teresa. Why do you think that ODR is a game changer? I think that ODR is a game changer because unlike myself, I had a lot of challenges as, as a parent with getting the resources that I needed for, uh, for my children. And so with having a team like myself and my partners, I think it's going to be a great outcome for some successes. Right. And, and Chris, why do you think that ODR is a game changer? Well, ODR is a game changer because, you know, we're going to have resources at our fingertips that standard case management doesn't have. Uh, we're not going to be having to thumb around for what to do with, with the clients. We're going to we're going to know what to do with them right away and, and have relationships that we built with the people that are going to be helping the community. And Leroy, in your, from your perspective, how do you think ODR is going to be a game there are many reasons why ODR is a game changer, but one of them, from my perspective, I would say is the research behind it. So when you speak about the initial pilot project, then you talk about the ODR versus standard case management. You have 108 arrests, which cost individuals and the state um, over $2 million. But with ODR, there was a total of 39 arrests and only cost a total of Nine hundred and twenty-two thousand. Right, right, and I know those numbers are really powerful to people, uh, and and a lot of people are very concrete and think of those numbers. And and I'm just today have a real appreciation for data, statistics, and numbers as we understand today. Data equals dollars. Yeah. What I'm really grateful for, as as it pertains to the Stepping Up Initiative, being the funder for the Opening Doors to Recovery Project, what you guys do is not based on money it's you know and, and i remember as we were looking at how to integrate opening doors to recovery into building concepts right and one of the things that usually was traditionally a challenge was that we started to identify other needs that people had we started to go into time frames that were beyond the billing cycles and so our supervisors would say you can't do that or we run out of units to build. So that's it, you know, and, and crisis doesn't stop. Crisis doesn't have a, a, a watch on, all right? Um, challenges aren't uh, respective of our financial positions, cultures, or any of those things. Uh, for some people, they're lifelong processes. For some people, they are uh, momentary processes regardless of the reason or the season, we shouldn't let money dictate that, right? So uh, you guys have obviously gone through extensive training. I want to ask you a question and start with you, Chris. You say you're a certified peer specialist. I think you just went through the uh, orientation for viewpoint as well as the ODR training. How does all of this training meet your lived experience and how does that expand you as an individual personally and professionally 
well, you know, it was a lot to take in in the beginning, you know, with, with, you know, the new hire orientation, the, and the ODR training was kind of back to back. And, uh, but now, you know, I've had time to kind of collect my thoughts and get into information that, you know, I need to know and, and take my time to learn in that. So, mm-hmm. so you've been interacting with systems for a long time and, you know, professionally, how does this ODR integration feel different? You you had interactions with the commissioner, Nora, and myself as a project developer for the initiative, Leroy as a clinician. And how does this feel different from some of those traditional interactions that you had? Well, for one, um, coming into um, ODR and meeting everyone, one of the things for me, which is a main factor, is that I know that I have the support. I know that I have the support of those from the top of ODR and from my team and from Viewpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, I, I know I hate to say this in 2022, but that's rare uh, that we feel equal, that we feel like it's a level playing field. Uh, I remember when I did the opening doors to recovery project, my supervisor was a clinician as well. And just let's just say that we didn't have that we didn't have that loving feeling <laughs> until many years deep into the project, and, and we developed that loving feeling as a result of being in those crisis situations, as a result of walking through yellow tape or walking through barriers and people. Okay, y'all there? Y'all want to go? Go ahead. You know what I'm saying? Okay, hey, it's me, Bill, don't you? You know, um, as a result of those things, we gained the respect for each other's position. And I think that one of the things that is unique about you guys as a team, you come in the game with that respect for each yes. other. Um, you come in as with a great respect for what that other person brings to the table, mm-hmm. as opposed to saying, well, you don't know how to knit, you know, you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, or you don't know how to cook. Yeah, it's not about what's wrong with you. It's really about what's right with you. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of a community to carry out this vision and together we are stronger. So let me ask you, Leroy, in your you you've been part of the clinical community for a minute. And so how does ODR feel different? ODR feels different for me because while you're a part of a, a profession and you hear it's a team work, team approach. ODR is more intimate, you know, it's a team of three and we spend most of, most of our days together, resource mapping, planning for participants, you know, planning about their housing, what kind of resource are in the community for them. And like, you know, coming in, as you say, and having the mutual respect for each other. I think one of the thing is, I think for a clinician, we'll say that we are self-aware and so we can empathize with others but having a, a recovery cns with me i know and believe wholeheartedly that this individual 
can read someone else in a way that I may not be able to. Right, you know right, what I mean? Right. And then having um, the family CNS who has so many resources and can reach beyond where I can reach, you know what I mean? And that allows me the opportunity to, to go deeper with the participant as well. Right. You know, so everyone carries their load, as we can say. And that's really great for me. Right. And, and you know, so just being transparent and what I think is really funny, right? Because obviously, you know that we all were very intimately involved in the process, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. As, as evidenced by you guys being there. And so I had a lot of uh, concern because I wanted to make sure the team, everybody on the team was going hunting. You follow me? Yes. And so by us really not having access to Teresa prior to and me having access to y'all, know y'all was 100. And I'm saying to myself, wow, they ain't going to pick somebody, you know, just off a tree, right? <laughs> and, and when Teresa came in and we had the opportunity to interface with her in that training, uh, I, I realized how great our God is. Yes. And, and I just... Uh, you know, because that's what it, it takes. There's this special, everybody can't do this. Mm -mm. This is bigger than a job. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have some, have left some skin on the ground to have skin in this game. Right? Without that, I don't know if you can reach the empathetic depth mm -hmm. of those parents or those people that we're serving. And I don't know if you have the ability to see the miracle that's in the middle of the room. Right. One of the things that we have to maintain is the uh, belief that there's a miracle in the middle of the room mm -hmm. for each and every person that we come into contact with. So I'm going to ask you guys a question. Why do you do this, man? Why? Why? What is your why? Why do you do this? I'm going to start with you, Teresa. Why do you do this? I mean, you could, you're a really smart lady. Um, you could just be like the housing coordinator for the Butch College or something. Why did you choose to do this? And you know this is uh, has a more strenuous requirement. You got on-call, we got co-responder, we got all of these other things. Why do you do this? I do this because with being a parent with children with mental illness and, long, and, and in long-term recovery, and then myself in long-term recovery, I do it because it's so rewarding. You know what I'm saying? I love helping people. I'm a people's person. And then with meeting participants and then relating, you know, and then they say to me like, yo, Miss T, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can relate. And so because of that, then I can build the best relationships with them. And so they trust me. And so by trusting me, then we can move forward from point A to point B and wherever, wherever life takes us and, and hopefully to, to that golden ticket. You know, yeah. so, um, so for me, it's about changing a life. And so, as I say all the time, you know, if I work with 20 participants and I only reach one and it saves one life, that one life, it's, it's gratifying. So for me, it's a plus and I love what I do because I love helping others. And then coming from a family, you know what I'm saying? Where I have my father, which was a pastor and my mom and evangelist, that's all I ever saw them doing was always helping people. So at the end of the day, it's within me. It's just within me. And so I just love what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And Leroy, um, uh, you know, I've met a lot of clinicians. And before my recovery, I, <laughs> I met a lot of clinicians. They usually send me straight up to the doctor, though. 
physical distance that I don't think we can do nothing with them. But uh, I, I met a lot of people, and, and I met some people that wrote on some desks, and uh, I met some people that were very uh, content with uh, doing four engagements for 45 minutes, taking a lunch, come back, doing two more, uh, doing their notes, and going home. Mm-hmm. And keeping it simple, and when they closed that door or they closed that computer or hit off, they were done. And they went home and, yeah, they they had all their notes done and everything. Mm-hmm. You've chosen this. It's a different path. It's yes. more rigorous, a lot more requirement, not as easy. What is your why? Why is this important to you? You know, the cliche answer to this is I've always been a helper. But, you know, as you develop, you know, as you go through your developmental stages, you realize that there are certain ways you want your household to look and there's a certain way you want your community to look and if you do not do something about it you know i've said this multiple times um the community will shape itself you know rather than you shaping it and and that's why i do it really i want my community to look at certain ways and with people cycling in and out of jail and going further and further into the deep end and ultimately um death then that's not something I want to see for people. I want to see people to strive, you know, succeed at, at what they do. You know what I mean? So if I can provide any kind of resources or any kind of help at any time for anyone, then that's what I want to do. I, it gives me a sense of, of, of gratitude, yeah. you know, without um, looking for anything back. Well, thank you for sharing that. And so, Chris, I, you know, because you know, Chris, why would you... I know you had a job before you did this, and, and you know you're a really bright guy, and you could uh, do anything. Why would you choose to work with one of the most challenging populations, people coming out of jail? Why, why would you? What is that? What is your why? So basically, like my why, you know, I had to do more than than just the nine to five construction job, warehouse job, or whatever, and and. You know, when I was in my addiction, it didn't matter what I did as long as I got a paycheck. And and today I feel like I need to do something that I'm passionate about and, and, and to continue moving forward with my own, with my own recovery. And and that, so that's my why. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I remember when I first came in and I was the recovery navigator and, and there was this, this misconception uh, that was pretty prevalent in systems is that the person in recovery is the identified patient. And at that time, they didn't realize the importance to understanding that we all are in recovery from something. Most of all, some people who think they aren't really need to be in recovery from something, that the system is probably more in need of recovery than any of us. Um, That system, man, the, the evolution from the treatment model to the recovery model, that's like the civil rights struggle, man. Understanding that you can't have a cookie cutter approach. There, You can't have a template that one size fits all because it doesn't. To understand the idiosyncrasies of difference, understanding the impacts of culture, and being able to change your mind and look at that and understand that what's the right answer today is maybe a different answer tomorrow understanding how 
disconnected people are from their treatment plan. How many people that we've served that have absolutely no idea what their treatment plan is? Mm-hmm. Uh, having so many people approach us with the solution being some pharmacology and not being able to see how critical purpose is, how important it is to listen and understand why what I'm saying is important to me. People try to diagnose people in a conversation that lasts for 45 minutes. You've never met me before. And we're going to come out of that conversation with you creating a plan for my life. Man, I I remember sitting in those uh, processes. And the only thing I really wanted to do was get the process over and go smoke a cigarette. Right? I, I didn't know that what I was saying was going to impact what ended up happening in my life and those services that I get. So you guys as advocates, and I can't count the number of times that I sat in doctor's appointments with people and spoke to clinicians or doctors with a person and changed that pathway, made that person more aware of what they could say that could change their pathway to to study so that I can become competent with my communication and not feel like I can't say what I think because then people will think I'm or feel a certain kind of way. Uh, You guys are walking into that arena. You guys are getting ready to step behind the curtain and see the truth about uh, what happens. What happens with people, to people, without people. So I hear that OER has a person-centered approach, that the person is the primary and everything else is is uh, something else. I think that's a really powerful perspective that you guys have. Right? So when you hear us talking and calling you special forces for recovery, why do you think we say that? Why do you think us lay people call y'all special forces for recovery? Well, I feel that with saying that is because with spending time with us and and hearing what we have to share about the work and watching us work, you know, and, and seeing that together we are a great team. You know, we really are a great team. I can say that for myself because I'm like, man, I got the coolest team lead. You know yes. what I'm saying? Which is which is the professional CNS. You know what I'm saying? Then I got this other cool guy over here, which is the RCNS. You know what I'm saying? And and so I share this with you know with my family and, and, and those that I come into contact with, you know, about what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? And I said this is the best, you know, it's the best moment, you know what I'm saying, in my life, you know what I'm saying, after working with other, you know, agencies and organizations, you know, and being here. It's it's different. The feel for me is completely different, and I know that God put me here. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I hear about these pillars. Help us understand, all of us lay people out here, what, what are the pillars of support? What, what is that all about? So with the four pillars, you have uh, adequate treatment, you have meaningful day, you have technology, and you have safe and appropriate housing. And those four things are what we're going to, we're going to work on what's called a passport, which is their, their roadmap to recovery. 
and that passport is going to surround those four pillars that, that I just mentioned. Okay, so we have safe, appropriate housing, adequate treatment, meaningful day, and access to technology. So what I'm hearing you say is that those things which very closely mirror the uh, site rehab principle, living, learning, working, and socializing, um, are actually integral to people's development, just like on a foundational, almost on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs level. Uh, I think that's really incredible. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge some of our partners in recovery. We are appreciative partners of the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network and would like to acknowledge them for providing peers with mental health resources and opportunities to become certified peer specialists in specific domains of their recovery. You can visit their website by going to www.gmhcn.org. We are also proud to be in partnership with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They provide multiple recovery resources in the CARES Support Warm Line. You can visit their website by going to gasubstanceabuse.org. Also hear that you have a co-responder model. Yes, yes. So help us understand what is that co-responder model, bro? So the co-responder model is um, we have collaborated with the Georgia Crime Investigation Center. When a participant is enrolled into the ODR project, their information, because they have they would have already waived some of their HIPAA rights, their information will be shared with, with that database. Now, the reason for that is if they were to encounter law enforcement at any time, during their participation in this project, then the GCICR or law enforcement would call any one of us on this ODR team. And that right there intercepts, you know, their transition into incarceration, if that's the case. And But if they were to leave the program, they, it would also be updated in the GCIC database also. Okay, so, and, and so what I heard you say is that you guys have a relationship with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation mm -hmm. and all of the, your participants' information is entered into, well, your participants' contact information mm -hmm. is entered, or demographics are entered into the Georgia Crime Information Computer System. Right. And anytime one of your people engage law enforcement, when they run that name through the terminal, that you guys come up on that terminal as a caveat. Right. So that person is part of the Opening Doors to Recovery mm -hmm. Project. And at that point, you guys will be informed, informed. And that one of your participants has just engaged law enforcement. Mm -hmm. When that happens, Teresa, tell me what happens next. When we receive that call, um, because we are on call outside of working <laughs> throughout the week, then we're to go and to assess the situation and um, to see how we can support the individual. Okay. And, and so one of the things, and I remember, and you guys are lucky, man. You guys are lucky. Because uh, I remember when I test piloted that thing. It was a little different than when that, when we did it. We used to get a, the minute it went through, we used to get a thing. And I'm like, oh, man. We had to call the dispatcher. 
many times I responded to those calls and one of the advantages to me coming to that call was that I was armed with more information about that person than they could possibly have. I knew whether or not you had made your appointments. I knew whether or not you were on your meds. I knew kind of because I've already seen you a couple times that week. I've already talked to you. I know what your disposition is. I know if your dog just died. I know if you're having some challenges. And we have a relationship. So when I show up and everybody's jiggy and you see me and you that, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> what's happening? What's going on, man? Well, what's wrong with it? What are they tripping on? You feel me? And, and, and all of a sudden, it starts to de-escalate that situation because we got a relationship. And I'm able to tell them, hey, listen, this this ain't, you know, cuz just missed meds, missed a shot. He, this, we, I got this, you know. And if it wasn't some type of career-ending injury, then you go with me, right? That's what diversion is all about. That's what cold responder is all about. That's what engagement is all about. That's what relationships are all about. So let, let me ask you a question. Uh, none of us got in here unscathed. All of us left a little skin on the sidewalk, one time or another. What would you say is the most difficult thing that you've ever been through? That's interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> All you people out there in Radio Land, this is Bill and Tanisha with the Recovery Hour. We got we got Teresa, we got Chris, and we got Leroy from the Opening Doors to Recovery Project. And they all just took a deep breath. <sighs> so we're getting ready to get some powerful information, possibly some revelation now. So like I was saying, uh, we're going to start with you. Leroy, since you are the professional, <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, tell us, man, since you're special forces for recovery, what is the what is probably the most challenging thing that you ever overcome? I don't know, but um, life in in general, life in yeah. itself. You know what I'm gonna say to you now, Bill. Being a single father. Yes. Being a single father. I've looked at any challenges that I've had in life. I look at it as, okay, I'll get over that, you know. But when I became a single father, having my daughter primarily, that was one of the toughest things for me. It brought tears to my eyes. I thought to myself, how the hell am I going to do this, <laughs> you know. But then I look back at all the stuff that I didn't have and and what my daughter would need. And I just, you know, if you look at a treatment plan, then I'll say, well, I created a, a treatment plan for her, you know, with her involvement too. And that's one of the person-centered things, you know, when we think about ODR also. So with her involvement, what it is she wants to do and how does she think she can get there and stuff like that and work with her rather than doing it on my own. So I can say, well, I had help from my daughter. Yes. That made it easier for me. So being a single parent is one of the, a challenging thing for me, you know, and also I have a son as well, but he's not primarily with me. Well, not at this point, but you know, right. it's just challenging being a parent. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, and that to me, that sounds like the absolute evidence that our challenges can make us stronger. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The greatest thing, the greatest adversity we can face, we can come out with a greater content and character than we could ever imagine. And so, yeah, I guess that does make y'all special forces for recovery. And so next I want to ask you, um, Teresa, what is the, uh, I love this job. Uh, so, Teresa, what is probably one of the most challenging things that you've ever uh, overcome? The most challenging thing that I ever overcame was being homeless with my children. 
it was it was one of the most difficult times in my life, you know what I'm saying, having to go every day to a facility and and just trying to get the 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 help and the resources that I needed. And for me, after being homeless, you know, and being able to go into, you know, because they have different types of, you know, shelters and programs. And so for me, um, they had the funding. And so I went into a hotel and then after a hotel, then I went into another, another program. And so I stayed in that program. So I utilized that program. And so while I was there, I was like, well, you know what, while I'm here and I got all the support, I got, you know, the counselors and, and I mean, that would come to my home and sit on the couch. I said, well, you know what, I'm going to use this to make my life better. You know what I'm saying? And in the process of doing that, the also the other plan was that for me, like to do everything in my power, not to find myself homeless again. And so while I was in that program, I was utilizing the program. And so what, what amazed them was that it was like, wow, you know, I was able to accomplish so many goals. I've accomplished goals that within six months that, you know, some people, it could take them a lifetime. You know, I got, I became a certified peer specialist. I got independent housing. I became a notary for um for the county that I lived in. Just different things. And so for me, I don't ever want to find myself there. And so that's why for me, I understand how important it is to have a, a home, a safe place. That was the most challenging things for me was being homeless. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you so much for your transparency. Other people out there in Radio Land, that's the, one of the reasons why our show is so highly rated because we just deal with that buck naked truth, man. The truth will set us free. And so when people hear about the things we've overcome, people who are in those challenges, they know now that there's hope. And so I guess the left, that only remains only one person can So I did that for you, Ed. So, um, Chris, what is probably the most challenging thing that you've ever overcome? Addiction. Hands down. Hands down. Uh, 22 years of my life, man. I saw the world through through different set of eyes, uh, broken lens, as they can say sometimes. And and I, I truly believed that I was always going to be that way from the to my core. That was what life was. This is what I'm going to do. You know, if you'd have came to me even five years ago and told me that I'd be sitting where I'm sitting today, I mean, I would have told you, you're, you know, you're lying. You know, there's, there's, there's no way I could ever imagine this. You know, they say... They say you can make a list of what you want, you know, in sobriety. And that in five years, if you look at that list, you sold yourself short. And that's that's true. You know, things will get so good, they'll scare you. And that's that's where I'm at today. Yeah, I sure hope I live about 15 more years, man. Not only will I try to borrow some money from you guys, but I'm going to be like, woo! Yes, because I know that... Uh, Opening doors to recovery monumentally changed my life. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that opening doors to recovery monumentally changed my life. The first time I ended up in front of a camera, opening doors to recovery did it. The first time somebody said, hey, listen, we're going to, uh, we went to uh, Las Vegas and did this thing where they had the heads of everything and did this thing called the Williams story, which was the story of my life. I remember... Just saying, wow, what's really going on? I, I couldn't imagine what it was, and now uh, where it's led is beyond conception. So 
So I guess the next question I want to ask you guys is, how do people get into, do you guys like charge people to get into your project? <laughs> well, there is an eligibility criteria. It's 18 to 65 years of age, uh, English speaking, uh, have to be diagnosed with a mood or a psychotic disorder or co- co-occurring substance use disorder. Okay. Have to have been uh, involuntarily detained two or more times in the past two years. That's mm-hmm. a big one. That's a big one. And then I'm trying to think there's, there's a couple other small things. Okay. So I, I just want to add that one of the biggest part as far as how they get in is they've got to want it. Okay. Got to be there compliant, you go. okay. You know, to the, the rules and, and their role. Okay. So the people are they like automatically transported into y'all project like by a time machine or something or how did they? Get, so let's say for instance I'm sitting in jail and uh, somebody makes the referral. I presume there's a referral. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so maybe my attorney makes the referral or whatever. And so then what happens next? So what happens is once we get this referral, being that I'm the clinician. I would go in and interview this person. Oh, so you interview me while I'm still in jail. While still in jail. Oh, okay. I'll come cool. to the jail and see. Okay. There's nowhere we won't go. Okay. There's nowhere too bad for us to to go. You okay. know, jail for some people can be a dark place. Oh my God. But we'll come in that darkness with you. Okay. So yeah, and just walk you through the criteria as my colleague just mentioned, and what it is, what it takes to be a part of it. And if you're willing to participate, then what I'll do is I'll go back, sit with the team, say uh, we have a potential candidate, you know, talk about the, their diagnosis as far as their criteria. Then we will go back as a team, all three of us, and walk this person through their passport to recovery. Okay. And that's like a treatment plan, but it's kind of, it's not so clinical because we want them to understand this. We do that, then we will transport them to, you know, where because we'd have already, when we sit as a team, figure out, well, where, you know, safe and appropriate housing, you know, meaningful days that they'll have. Meaningful days could also be work for them too, but they could be volunteering wherever they want to, you know, have all of that ready. So when they come out, they hit the ground running. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's really cool. How how are you guys received by this community? I know that this incredible transformation is happening here right now. And, and, you know, I don't know how it traditionally happens. Usually when something new comes up, a lot of people are like, "Mm, we don't want to try that. We're already doing that or whatever. So um, what is the reception that you've gotten from the community, the commissioners, the judges, the you know, different people. What has that response been like to what you're doing? From what I see, the response have been good. First, you know, shout out to the commissioner. You know, the response from her, you know, being someone who's championing recovery, you know, for her community also. And which commissioner is that? Uh, commissioner Doreen Williams. Okay. So we get that clear. Uh, <laughs> we're also alumni, let me say that too. Um, but yeah. Um, everyone's being supportive. Some people may not get it mm-hmm. straight away. You know, mm-hmm. they'll have questions. They'll have questions about the MOUs to the Memorandum of Understanding, which I want to say that it is not a legal and binding document. It is just uh, um, saying that, well, you have resources that, you know, participants could use and you're willing to offer these resources to them. 
you you don't have to if it's not there at the time then you do not have to but you know it's not a legal binding contract okay the memorandum of understanding Mm -hmm. is not a legal or binding contract okay that's really good news because a lot of people you say memorandum of understanding they think about liability Mm -hmm. wait what did that mean for me right so i think that's really powerful It is our extreme pleasure to have such strong community partners, such as Viewpoint Health, to join us in our journey to recovering individuals as well as systems and procedures. Viewpoint Health offers an array of services and resources for individuals with mental health challenges, substance use challenges, as well as intellectual and developmental disabilities. To connect with them, please visit their website at www.myviewpointhealth.org or you can call 678-209-2411. Chris, in your understanding, and I'm sure you walked in through a lot of doors before and people said, oh, who's that? Uh, what's he doing here? Watch your birth or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So, Chris, what is the response to you? What What has it been like for you? It's been great. I mean, it's it's real open response. I mean, I feel pretty good about it as far as as far as you know, judges, commissioners, you know, and the people in the community, um, mm-hmm. the steering committee for the mm-hmm. stepping up initiative. I feel like they're open to it. They're they're open to what we're doing, okay. and they'll be willing to help us. Right. And so it's my understanding that you guys are going to be presenting your project on Wednesday, May the 25th at 1.30 p.m. at the Stepping Up Steering Committee meeting. And I guess you guys already know that. (laughs) But I think you guys will be well prepared. I think you guys are well prepared. I think you are more than articulate. I think that you guys can meet, when you meet with people as a team, think that you have become very fluid and very uh, more than capable of transferring the the very essence of ODR. Uh, you know, because a lot of people, when they think of programs or they think of projects, they think in very static terms. How much does it cost? What are the numbers? What are the figures? I know that when we did it, it was larger than life. We showed up and they're like, and then those outcomes were larger than life as well. So Teresa, Teresa, you've taken the world by storm. I've had several opportunities to communicate with you. Uh, We were in a meeting the other day, Teresa, I can't remember where you were. I had a lady call me after that meeting and say, hey, listen, uh, I need to get Teresa's contact information because I think she would be an incredible partner for us. And I would like to give her access to all the resources that we have. Uh, I, I, I remember uh, I remember not too long ago sitting in the ODR training and asking you some question. I remember that response. I asked you the same question today. The fluidity of your response 
I just know that the world out there, the recovery, opening doors to recovery, uh, family navigator, the recovery navigator, and the professional navigator are coming to a theater near y'all soon. That theater, for some, is a theater of war. For some, it's a theater of uh, challenge. For some of us, it's a theater of victory. A lot of people are going to hear this radio show. And I want, want them to make sure they hear you. So what message do you have for the people that are going to hear this message? Uh, I'm going to start with you, Teresa. What message do you have for all the people that are going to hear this radio show? We even got listeners in Germany, man. So the German dudes are listening. What message do you have for people out there that are going to hear about the uh, family recovery navigator and opening doors to recovery. Well, what I want to say to um, to those that are listening is that for me is a new beginning. And for those that's going to be coming, you know, who are willing to participate in the program, it will be a new beginning for them. And so for me, it's about being hopeful, being positive, you know, and putting your best foot forward. And so um, one of the things that I want to say as well, Bill, that I didn't get an opportunity to say, I thought you was going to say, well, Teresa, you next. And you asked a question about the support, you know, how, how did I, how did we feel about, you know, being accepted? And so uh, you shared um, about, you know, the meeting that we had on last Sunday. And so for me, I want to say like, you know, just, just being noticed for just a second and knowing what I do, you know, and will be doing and for people to just say, you know what, I'm willing to help, you know, I'm willing to help her is very important. And so and that's one of the things that I want to say to anyone that's out there. Like if you have the resources and you know that someone is in need, then, you know, just just help, you know, just help, you know. And so for me, you know, I'm just thankful for, you know, for those that are that are supportive, who are accepting and, you know, and willing to just say, you know what, I got this information and let me get it to you. So just stay hopeful. Stay positive and be successful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And Chris, man, what message do you have for all the people out there in radio land that are going to hear the sound of your voice? There are going to be people out there who want recovery, people who are in recovery, people who are serving people in recovery. What message do you have for all the people out there that are going to hear the sound of your voice, Chris? Uh, just that, you know, I'm excited to be here, that recovery is real and, and ODR is coming. Wow. Well, and so Leroy, you were the lead navigator. Uh, the uh, you know he likes to say, "Ooh, no, I'm not." Yeah, you are. So uh, you're also uh, one of the things. One of the consensus is that I've heard. I hear a lot of people talk about you, Leroy. Uh, a lot of people are really uh, optimistic about the whole Leroy thing and the whole OER thing. What message do you have for all the people that are going to hear the sound of your voice? Uh, my message is for everyone, people in recovery, people who are not in recovery. And I want to say sometimes it looks like, you know, there's no way, but it is possible. Recovery is possible and recovery happens and it will happen. Yeah, man, that's, that's really good stuff. So I know this, and uh, as the original navigator, I look at you guys and I partner with you guys, and I'm just incredibly optimistic. I'm incredibly optimistic. We, 
are incredibly optimistic. I want you guys to know that you're part of the civil rights struggle. You're part of a, a process that never existed before. You guys are part of an innovation. Everybody ain't always happy with that, but uh, those people they ain't happy, they'll have to call their sponsor. Yeah. I know that I sat down with the commissioner years ago and talked about what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Talked about the ODR project. Talked about the funding. Talked about the process. Talked about who's going to be, where we're going to find them, where they're going to be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and me as the project developer, I had a vision. First of all, my vision is based on we can't fail. Right, because there's no pieces. To be able to see something with no pieces, but to believe in it enough to fight for it. And when they said to me, well, who's going to train them? Who's going to, where are we going to fund them? Well, yeah, we can do it. How are we going to know if we got them? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and to just have that blind faith, but then to know, because in my recovery, I know one thing. I know God's going to show up, and he don't make mistakes, mm -hmm. right? So as I sit here years later, and you guys are here, and you far surpass the expectation, right? You guys are perfect, right? right. You guys are perfect. Right. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. Because there, I don't see any demographic that you guys can't speak through. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and your your diversity in in sound and in visual and, and then the hearts of lions, um, it, it is like, uh, it just makes me think of the man in the arena. They said it's not the critic who counts, but the man who's in the arena. Mm -hmm. His face is marred with sweat and blood, you know, who uh, errors and falls short. And sometimes fails, but fails while daring greatly. Because you'll never know the fate of those timid souls who sit on the sidelines and neither know the victory of high achievement or the failure of defeat. Because they're just critics. You guys are in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you guys kicking in the doors. Bam. Recovery's here. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. Y'all know what it is. Hands down, man down. You know what I mean? I'm just proud and privileged. I want to thank you guys for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this with us today. And Tanisha, will you tell all the people out there in Radio Land how they can get this message? Absolutely. We have had another powerful radio show for you all. And we invite you all to stay connected with us so you can continue to get these messages. You can stay connected with us by visiting our website, which is rockdalesteppingup.com. If you go to the bottom of that website, there's a little stay connected tab. Click on that tab and then it will take you to a library of our monthly newsletters. In our monthly newsletter, you will get a message from Commissioner Doreen Williams talking about the recovery community and everything that the Stepping Up initiative is doing. We also select a person in recovery as the champion of recovery where we highlight them with the video and then they tell their recovery story and just empower others in recovery. We also now select a champion of change who is one of our partners in the community who is advocating for change and creating change here in Rockdale. There are also several different resources for people, um, community events, announcements and things of that nature. 
So we also encourage you to follow our partners in recovery, which is Grit and Grace, a recovery community organization. Follow all of their social media pages. They're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under Grit and Grace RCO. Also, if you want to keep hearing these messages, tune in to Cat 10 ENT on the His Hop Network every Wednesday at 12 noon. And then we replay again on Thursdays at 1 p.m. If you cannot listen at those times, we also have a podcast that you can listen to it at your convenience. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, The Recovery Hour. We are on several different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and iTunes, which is Apple Podcasts. So y'all keep coming back. Wow. Thank you, Tanisha, man. Every time you do that, I'm so glad that that's something that I don't have to do, man. Yay! Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.